Good morning. It is so good to be back with you live here on our website or our Facebook page or our YouTube channel, wherever you're following this. I've uh, been, been away for a couple of weeks, and so the Bible studies you've been seeing on our page and through our various channels have uh, been pre-recorded, and so it's nice to be back live with you. I think there's something special about knowing we're, we're together uh, in this study. Of course, you can watch it anytime you, you want, anytime that's convenient for you, and we also welcome our, our folks here locally. Uh, we have concluded the Gospel of John uh, in the previous week, and so we're going to begin a new study uh, in the coming weeks that will hopefully take us to the end of the summer. And at the end of the summer, my hope is that we will go back to having in-person Bible classes here uh, at the Monroe Church of Christ. When we do that, uh, we will still stream them live. We will still put the audio out in a podcast. We will do all of what we're doing now. It'll look a little different. Uh, I'm here with a single or really two cameras uh, and, um, and some lighting and you know to try and make it look good. It won't have all of that uh, flair, but there will be other people here. And so there will be questions and comments, hopefully, and, and we'll get back into the swing. It's been a while since we've been in person for our Bible class time. But that's such an important time because that's when discussion can happen and questions can happen and we can really start thinking and, and, and diving deep into the Word. So to get us through these next several weeks, we're going to study the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, and they're, they're quite short, uh, and so we will have shorter class uh, periods that we do this, these particular lessons. And we'll take a chapter at a time. And uh, that'll carry us through for a couple of months and get us uh, to the end of the summer when school starts. Everybody's really back in their routine here. And we can start uh, planning for our Bible classes. So we, we hope that you'll pray for us as we, as we do that and try to make that transition. And we just hope that you'll continue joining us. I know that some of you have joined who were unable to attend church somewhere uh, during pandemic uh, restrictions. Maybe you're able to go back now, and that's great. I hope you do. Um, if, if you are feel at home and you're being fed well in the congregation you're a part of, continue to do that. Um, we hope you'll make us a part of what you, you continue to study and do in your personal life. We hope it's beneficial to you or share it with people who might need it. Now, we put this out because we have the ability to. We're not trying to gain anything from it. We just want people to see who we are and hear about Jesus through any means possible. So we're going to look for Jesus in these letters these epistles of John. So as we get to, to 1 John, what we call 1 John, it's important to understand, and I think you, you might benefit, in fact, from taking a look at uh, uh, our How We Got the Bible series that we're doing in the midweek session. Uh, go back and take a look at some of those. you got to understand a few principles about how the Bible came to be, how we got these letters preserved, and how we have these, these writings handed down to us. And understand a little something about authorship. We take authorship very seriously when it comes to our own um, our own copyrights and intellectual property and things like that. If I were to write a book and I were to put someone else's name on it, um, uh, that would be seen as somewhat unethical. That would be seen. I can I can write. I can use any title. For my book, we, there are many books that have the same titles. Um, in fact, I have two books that I'm, I've been reading, um, dealing with completely different subjects that have the same title. And they're both religious in nature, 
uh, and they're both very good, but they have the same title, totally different subjects. You can use any title you want, but if I were to take someone else's name, that would be a violation because I would essentially be pretending to be someone else and perhaps selling books uh, on that basis. So I wouldn't want to want to put someone else's name on there, uh, though, though some do that, some try that. In the past, see, that's a really modern concept. In the past, it was very common for the, the large part of history for people to use pen names, first of all. The idea prior to you know, prior to about a thousand years ago, uh, or in the last thousand years, prior to that time, the idea of putting your name on something you wrote, like a novel or something, was almost seen as um, a little bit disgraceful. So it, it's a modern concept to even put names on the things we write, but it's even more modern to put your name on it and not someone else's. There were many things written in the name of other people. Uh, William Shakespeare's works. We talk about the works of Shakespeare. We don't really know that he wrote any of them. Pretty sure that he did write most of them, but there are some that could have been written because any evidence we have, we have all these signatures and they're all different and we don't really have any hard evidence of what he wrote. He didn't keep very good records. Uh, and It's very likely that some people penned plays and put his name on it. Uh, in fact, the term Shakespeare or Shakespearean is actually a generic term that was in use in that time period and since to describe a particular type of play or a period in, in, in the history of playwriting. And so this idea that authorship is something that's concrete, particularly when it comes to biblical texts, is a little bit new and a little bit modern. Biblical texts often bear the name, or sometimes at least bear the name, of people and our tradition tells us that certain people wrote it when in fact they probably didn't. But that's okay. So I will tell you up front, the scholarly community is widely divided on the authorship of these epistles that bear the name of John. Uh, it's pretty well believed that it's not the Apostle John. That we, you know, we just studied the Gospel of John. It's pretty well accepted, or at least there is division on it, as to whether he's the author. Um, but most scholars accept that he probably wasn't. And so they refer to the author of these letters as John the Evangelist. Um, as to whether he was, in fact, the gospel writer, we don't know. The evidence of the place and time of authorship would suggest it wasn't him because it was written a little bit later than his gospel, and it was probably written in Ephesus, which we know John was not in at that time. Uh, you'll remember that the Gospel of John was one of the later books written, and these epistles go along with that time period in the late 90s, even into the early part of the second century when they were authored. Now, if this bothers you, that's okay. It's okay that it bothers you. It, it is bothersome. Just remember, our tradition and some of the early understanding of these, these texts suggested the, the Apostle of John but in fact, it may not be. Now, let me offer you an alternative point of view. You could think of that and say, well, my faith is completely shaken. Or you could look at it and say, through all of the, the things that were culturally appropriate at the time, which was to put someone else's name on it, or to write in the style of or in the, in the name of someone else, for all of that, God still saw it fit by his providence, and the early church still saw it fit to pass these letters down. That's also important to remember. We have many, many manuscripts and writings. In fact, we have many letters 
that were exchanged between Christians and groups of Christians from the early part of the church, the first and second centuries. And through those letters, we see that they were sharing scripture. They, they had read or they had heard bits and pieces of some of these letters, some of these writings, and they rewrote them, not in their complete form, but in partial form in letters to share them with fellow Christians. And so we can see and kind of figure out through that what parts uh, or what scripture, what, what words were important to them. And that has been used in the process of determining which books go in our Bible. So when you see a book in the Bible, these 66 books, you can feel confident that over the centuries, over the millennia, uh, we have looked at them and scholars have looked at them and translators have looked at them and looked at that other evidence to say, the early church thought this was important because we can find segments of it, excerpts of it, shared in the personal correspondence of early Christians. They felt it was important. They considered it scripture. So you can have your faith shaken by the fact that the, the evidence doesn't match with tradition in terms of authorship, or you can have it confirm your faith that we have a God that sees to it we get the scripture we need, that the early church considered this essential, considered this important, shared it regularly, not just in manuscript form, but in their personal correspondence as well. In fact, if all the manuscripts and all of the, the copies of the New Testament disappeared today, we would be able to reconstruct it with the letters that we have that were the personal correspondence of early Christians um, with the exception of maybe between 10 and 20 verses that we don't find in those personal correspondence, meaning we have what they had. We have what they considered to be important. And every time we have rediscovered old manuscripts and new manuscripts and we've looked at them again and we've tried to address the language and see that we have what they had, it's confirmed. We have the words. So I encourage you to go check out that study uh, for something a little more in-depth on that process of how we got the Bible, and we'll continue that uh, this week as well. But I say that to say, we're not really sure who wrote these. Tradition says the Apostle John. Scholarship says someone else, maybe a student of his, um, maybe a contemporary, maybe someone who was a peer or a fellow, um, a fellow evangelist. But it's definitely written in the style of John. Uh, it just doesn't seem to match up, and there's no authorship stated. So we have what we have. Remember, this is the, the Bible points us to Jesus. Jesus is the Word. That's what the Apostle John said, and the Bible points us to that Word. So as we read this, let's do look at some of the thematic similarities to the Gospel of John. What was it we talked about in previous weeks about the Gospel of John? The point was to confirm the divinity of Christ, to state clearly the divinity he, he uh, is endowed with from the Father and how he endows in us uh, a portion of holiness. We can be like God if we are like Jesus, and others can be like us and be like them when we share the gospel. So let's begin and notice the thematic uh, similarities. That means that whoever did write this either was the Apostle John or was close enough to him or intimate enough in the knowledge of his writing to match this theme. So let's begin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning we have heard, uh, excuse me, what was from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, he's introducing something. He's saying this thing that we 
understand. Okay, uh, He's posing it in this form. But notice what comes right at the beginning. From the beginning. How did John begin his gospel? In the beginning was what? The Word. And in this first verse, he speaks of the beginning and he speaks of the Word. What we have, what, what was from the beginning, Jesus. What we have heard, the gospel. What we have seen with our eyes, the evidence of him. Uh, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. So in every way that we can experience Jesus, he's saying this, this thing, this good news, what we've experienced, and what is it concerning the word of life? That's Jesus. The word of life is Christ. It is his gospel. Uh, that is what the Apostle John said. That is what this writer says as well. And, and now it takes a little parenthetical statement here beginning in verse 2. So that's the word of life. We've, 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 it's been from the beginning. We've heard it. We've seen it. We've touched it. And, that, and the life was manifested. Okay, The word of life was manifested. That's Christ. And we have seen and testified and proclaimed to the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Jesus Christ was from the beginning. That's what's reaffirmed here in these first two verses. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Continuing the theme of the transitive nature of that relationship, we've received something from God through Christ, we share it with others, then we have fellowship with one another, and that fellowship is also with Christ, and that fellowship is also with the Father. A lot going on in these first three verses. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. We want to make our joy complete. It, look, I, I am so thankful I'm a child of God. I am so thankful that Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived and died so that I could be made whole. We'll talk more about that in our worship service today, about how Jesus did that and what that means for us and how we see ourselves. I'm thankful for that. And I could just live in that glory and enjoy it. But that's only a partial joy. That's only one part, one small part of the joy that is intended for us. The writer here says that to make our joy complete, we must also have fellowship with those around us, fellow believers. And in order to have those, we've got to share this message so he says, these things that we've understood from the beginning, that we know are from the beginning, we've seen it, we've touched it, we've heard it. It's the word of life. It's Jesus Christ. He was with God. He came to earth. He is eternal. He was from the beginning. He is everlasting. We've heard it. We've seen it. We know it. And now we're telling it to you so that we can have some unity, so that we can have something that binds us, so that we can have something that brings us together. And when we have fellowship with one another in that fact, we have fellowship with Christ and we have fellowship with God as well. So this writer here is carrying on some themes of the Apostle John. And if it's not him writing it, it's someone who understands the themes that he wrote under. And so he talks about this idea of fellowship. You know, we hear a lot about how divided the world is right now. We hear a lot about the differences that separate us. We see viral videos every week of someone yelling at a school board meeting about one thing or another because we have arguments and disagreements over what to teach and what's appropriate. And we have differences politically and religiously and spiritually and morally. We have so much that divides us. What can we do to bridge that gap? What can we do to bring unity? 
to our world. Well, I don't know that I can solve all the problems of politics and of, of uh, social order, but I think that what this writer is saying is that in order for us to take at least a step in that direction, we could find unity, unity in Christ. If we can simply accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God, then we at least have that anchor to hold on to. Do you think there were political, social disagreements among the early Christians? There most certainly were. We see some of those driving a wedge between Christians, but we often see in those early writings the call to remove that wedge and come back together on one central point. Paul talks a lot about this in the book of Romans and in other places in his writings. There are going to be things that threaten to divide us. None of it matters. Let's get back to Jesus. If we can go back to that anchor point, we can work from that direction to solve our disagreements. Let's find Jesus as the central point to which we connect with one another and connect with God. Once we have that, we can work with the rest. And now we come to verse 5. He's going to reveal the message. Here it is. He's saying all this stuff we understand. Now he's going to boil it down. Here's the essence of it. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is pure. Now, this idea of light and darkness is seen in Scripture. Uh, they're juxtaposed to one another. They are a definite contrast. They might be the essence of contrast, light and dark. Uh, darkness conceals. Darkness hides. Darkness encourages evil. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about, well, aren't you going to lock your doors? Well, what, what, it's broad daylight uh, because we consider it silly to think that crimes would happen in the daytime. Or we are amazed, you know, we, we come out to our car in the parking lot and the window's busted and the stereo's gone. Someone robbed me in broad daylight. You know, we have this uh, wonder at the fact that how could such a thing happen? Because it seems... Strange that something would happen like that in broad daylight because it's illuminated, it's visible, it's seen. Evil happens at night, it happens in the darkness, it happens under cover and concealment. And what's in the light is exposed, and so those things don't happen. There are things that cannot survive in the light that survive in the dark. Um, the sunlight itself has disinfectant qualities that purify the air. Those ultraviolet rays that come down from that star that we we circle around, it's powerful. Light does amazing things, it can do amazing things, and it provides a path forward, whereas darkness does exactly the opposite. Well, God is the light. He's the cleanser, the exposer, the revealer, and there's no darkness in him, not even a hint of it. And what does that mean? Well, verse 6 tells us, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So does walking in the light mean to be perfect? No, it couldn't mean that as this author is stating it because he says we should walk in the light and let the blood of Jesus cleanse our sin. So you do not have to be a perfect person to walk in the light. You do not have to be free of mistakes to walk in the light. To walk in the light does not mean to be sinless. It simply means that you wish to walk in the path that is illuminated by the word and the knowledge and the wisdom of God. The central fact of this letter is God is light 
in him there is no darkness. And then the author begins to reason from that point. So if we say we have fellowship with God, but our life doesn't reflect that fellowship with God, in other words, there's darkness, well, God doesn't have any darkness in him, so God cannot have fellowship with you if you have darkness in you. We're going to talk more about that today. Stick around for worship service, okay? Because we're going to reference this verse uh, during that time. We can't have darkness in our life and say that we have fellowship with God. We have to walk in the light. Again, that doesn't mean perfection is required for a relationship with God by our own actions, but perfection is achieved by the gift of Christ's sacrifice, and that's what the author says. <clears throat> you will have sin. You will make mistakes, but the blood of Christ will cleanse us. So what do we get from walking in the light? We get fellowship with God. We get fellowship with one another, and we get access to the, redeem the redeeming power of the blood of Christ. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So part of walking in the light is the admission that we have sin. Those that walk in darkness ignore their sin, have given up on their sin, or accepted their sin as just a part of life. Those that walk in the light are not perfect. They are those who see, because of the light, their sin exposed. And they choose to stay in the light rather than conceal the sin, because in the light is the cleansing power of Christ's blood. So if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We're liars. We are lying to ourselves, and we are lying to others if we say we're sinless. Um, the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, that is, that's being in the light. That's the essence of being in the light. In the light... We're not saying we're without sin. We're saying we're confessing our sin and opening our heart for Jesus to change it. That's what God wants to see. That's what it means to have fellowship with God. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, we're made acceptable to God by walking in the light and allowing ourselves to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. That's pretty powerful. Now, we think that we're pretty holy people sometimes because we know the word, and we, we teach the word, and we preach the word, and we follow the word, but we still have sin. We still fall short. So what does it mean if we act like we don't have sin? We don't, we don't have to say it verbally. It could just be an action. It could be the way you carry yourself. It could be the way that you, uh, the impression you leave, that you're sinless. If you think you're perfect, if you think you have no sin, you make God to be a liar, and we have no place in his kingdom. So why is God a liar if we say that we don't have sin? We're the ones lying, right? Well, because he sent Christ. He sent his son. He sent our Savior. And he said, this is what you need in order to be acceptable to me. This is what must be done in order for me to have a relationship with you. And if we then turn around and say, well, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm perfect. I have no sin. Or if I allow people to think that I'm perfect and have no sin, then the impression is left that I didn't need Jesus. I don't need that. Now, if I didn't need it, then God did something horrible at Calvary. If I didn't need it, then he did something terrible by allowing his son to be crucified on that cross. If I didn't need it, then he was lying when he said I did. You see, our actions, our words, the way we project our righteousness, 
When we cut Jesus out of that equation, we're saying something about God and about ourselves, and we're putting ourselves higher than God. And the writer here is encouraging us, don't walk in darkness. Not only is darkness where sin occurs, darkness is where sin goes to hide. And when it's hiding there, it pretends that it doesn't exist. And if it's hiding there and pretending it doesn't exist, then we're making a statement about God and his righteousness and why he did what he did. And we're making him into a liar and a murderer of his own son. Now, we are to walk in the light. We are people of the light. The light is where God is. We walk with God. We walk with God and we say, I'm not good enough to walk beside you, Lord. And he says, I'll make you good enough because this is where Jesus is. The light is where sin goes to be destroyed and set free and where Jesus cleanses us. I think we're in for a really important study in these letters from the author, John the Evangelist, whoever he might be and whoever you think he might be. He's writing some profound stuff about the nature of God and the nature of Christ, and he's going to teach us a few things. And I hope you'll join us in this study. I'm looking very much forward to it. I'm also looking forward to 11 o'clock when we begin our worship service here. I uh, thank you so much for joining us and hope to see you again real soon.